Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? That's good. Good to see you all. Hope you had a, a nice day yesterday. If you want, we can uh, stand up and we'll praise God and hear the word. All right, Father, we love you. Uh, we're here for you because of you. So we uh, thank you for that, how you've worked in all our lives to bring us to this place. Uh, we thank you how you're continuing to work. We pray that every day we see that more and more. Uh, as we come here, as we praise you with words and songs, and as we hear your word, uh, that it just encourages that growth to die to ourselves and to pick you up more and more. So we praise you for that, for how you're working in all of us in our church. Uh, we just pray for everything that goes on this morning. May it be all for your glory, for your kingdom alone. Uh, we pray for Matt as he preaches. Just give him the clarity of thought to what he's putting on him. Give us ears to hear it. Uh, we pray for Leonard and Mandy as they're um, away. Pray for the uh, rest, uh, if that's what they need. Pray for safe travels as they come back. And uh, I know there's a lot of prayer concerns um, connected to all of us. Uh, so we just uh, pray for all the members of your of your body, of, of the body here, God, that however they need you, that they can see you working, and that however we need to show your love and be there for them, we can be. We again just thank you for this day and this time together, God. Amen. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done 
Let every eye proclaim the mercy of your name on earth as it is in heaven. For the kingdom is yours and the power is yours and the glory is ever amen. And the kingdom is yours and the Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let every eye proclaim the mercy of your name on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let every be seated. Kids, you're dismissed. How is everyone? Good. Good. Good to be here. I'm upright. A couple, uh, I guess a couple announcements. Um, first off, just uh, some, uh, housekeeping, I guess, is that we, ha we are now accepting names for elder candidates. Um, if you are want to put somebody in the, um, submit them to the office or an elder, and uh, that's that. Um, another one I want to make aware to you is the Back to School Bash on Sunday the 28th. Um, lots of fun, lots of excitement, plenty of games, food, inflatables, even a dunk tank, so if uh, somebody wants to volunteer to be in that, um, let me know. Um, but there's also sign-up sheet, donation form um, in the studio if you want to help out in any way that way. So um, that's all I have. We're going to jump into this and uh, get started. <clears throat> all right, so how many of you have ever been Perhaps you've picked somebody up at the airport. Anybody been there? Done that? Yeah? Or met your, or have been met yourself when you've gone to visit someone you haven't seen for a long time. Think of that moment when you finally make on, eye contact with that person that you're looking for. And suddenly, out of all the people gathered in that place at that time, you make a personal connection with someone you know and who knows you. You run up to embrace them. Any doubts, would there be any? Would, you, would they even know you? You see all such questions disappear as they turn their face towards you. Which makes me think and wonder, how many would recognize Jesus if he were to walk amongst us today? Now, Jesus is with us, but that is not what I'm talking about. I mean, if Jesus was to return for a visit. The second coming of Christ 
mics. <clears throat> not, not just as the second coming of Christ described in Scripture. Then all people would recognize him. His triumphal return would not be doubted by anyone. But what I am saying is that if you were to come and shop at Walmart's one afternoon, how many of you would know him? If he were to eat at Pizza Hut, how many of you would bow at the salad bar? If he were to step into Dunkin' Donuts and get a donut and a coffee, how many of you would recognize him? If he were to sit in the back row of the service this morning, how many of us would recognize the king? So this morning, I want to look at a passage of scripture that tells the story of a king who enters a city, and although it seems the people recognize him, they truly do not. It is a story of people who are looking for something they want rather than what they need. And because of their endless greed and selfishness, they miss the real king who offers a far greater gift than they can seek. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up to Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 28. Luke 19, starting with verse 28. It starts, when these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, as Bethage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent, go into the village ahead of you, as you enter it, you will tied there, on which The Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it, just as he told them. All right. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. And they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get onto it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the, of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice all for all their miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. And as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've come to you this morning just asking that you let us hear your word. Let, let us know that you're here. Let, let us know that... Um, we, we have something to learn from this. Open our hearts and minds to what will be said, to your spirit, um, to what's going to be speaking to our hearts. We ask that you just continue to guide us and direct us as we continue just to do your will in all that we do. We love you and thank you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You see, this passage is known as the triumphal entry. And although we see people spreading out their clothes, 
as some kind of red carpet for the king. It is Jesus that shows us that people do not recognize him for the king he truly is. He says in verse 42 that it is hidden from their eyes. So this morning, I want us to take a closer look at this story, maybe through a different lens than what we usually do. Our first point this morning is these people's eyes were wide shut. These people's eyes were wide shut. And I feel fairly sure that not everyone there was thrilled that Jesus was entering Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey. His humble entry was predicted in the Old Testament in Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle. They recognize a king, but fail to see the king. They expect something they want and therefore miss what they could have had. You see, as Jesus comes closer to Jerusalem, he begins to take charge in direct events. Near Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he tells his followers to go, get an animal for entry into the capital. He tells them if anyone asks them, tell them that the Lord needs it. This is not really that unusual because in the time a dignitary could procure the use of property for personal use, and this right was extended to rabbis as well. As the disciples do as they are commanded, and everything happens just as Jesus said it would, as he enters the city, the scripture tells us that his followers, his disciples, lay their clothes on the path of the donkey, much like a red carpet would be rolled out for someone very important today. The people of the city of Jerusalem would follow the disciples' lead, much like the people today would check out a crowd gathering around a celebrity. They had their eyes wide shut. They did not know anything about this king that was entering their city. And this would truly become evident in the coming days. These same people would listen to the teaching of the king. They would worry the Pharisees, which would worry the Pharisees and the chief priests, and then would shout in one voice for the crucifixion of Christ. They just couldn't see what the Lord was going to do for them. They had in mind one thing, and when the crowd began to fog over their ideas of the king, they followed the crowd. So many times we do the same things. We walk into obstacles and have our eyes wide shut. It was a fog-shrouded morning on July 4th, 1952, when a young woman named Florence Chadwick waded into the waters off Catalina Island. She intended to swim the channel from the island to the California coast. Long-distance swimming was not new to her. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. The water was numbingly cold that day. The fog was so thick that she could hardly see the boats in her party. Several times, sharks had to be driven away with rifle fire. Her tr- she swam more than 15 hours before she a- asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer tried to encourage her to swim on since they were so close to land. But when Florence asked, all she saw was, f- when Florence looked, all she saw was fog. So she quit only one mile from her goal. Later, she said, I'm not excusing myself. But if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. It wasn't the cold or fear or exhaustion that caused Florence Chadwick to fail. 
it was the fog. Many times we too fail, not because we're afraid or because of peer pressure or because of anything other than the fact that we lose sight of the goal. Maybe that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Two months after her failure, Florence Chadwick walked off the same beach into the same channel and swam the distance, setting a new speed record because she could see the land. But it didn't stop there. You see, Scripture says this morning that the whole crowd of disciples begin to sing praises to God. They had seen the miracles he had done. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Yet there were some there who did not shout praises to God and told Jesus to tell his followers to quiet themselves, to rebuke them. Yet Jesus knew that if any of the followers did not shout his praises, even the stones would cry out, which leads us to point number two, which is empty praises, empty praises. But it was empty praise for the same people which shout in one voice to have Jesus put to death. Empty praise is something we should, be able to, we should be able to associate with. It happens all the time in the world that we live in. It is a form of unfaithfulness and selfishness we truly see in our culture today. We have good things to say about others as long as we are getting what we want from them. We see it in sports teams. We see it in marriages. We see it even in the church. As long as people are doing what we want them to, as long as they are serving our needs, we will sing their praise. But one slip and we move on to something better. I've seen this so many times in the Christian walk. People will serve the church and who love Christ as long as things are going good. But when things get difficult or when the timing is not to their liking, they move on to something else. We can get victory over hardship by singing praise to the Lord. My mouth is filled with your praise all the day long. Psalm 71, 8. You see, Roger Bennett, I think, kind of writes it best. He was a pianist and songwriter who died in 2007. And prior to his death, he wrote on his website, Our enemy stalks us exactly the way the Bible describes, as a roaring lion. He hides in the bushes, waiting for any sign of weakness. Then he strikes. He didn't strike me physically. He struck a more critical part, my joy, my confidence. My hope. Every thought turned towards heaven bounced back like it was made of brass. Every time I tried to look on the bright side, I ended up imagining a dark future. Then he threw his most effective dart. Doubt. You call yourself a Christian. What a hypocrite. You're more afraid than ever. More filled with despair. So much, of your, so much for your faith, Mr. Gospel Singer. I believed everything he said. I tried everything I knew to pull out of it. I thought if I dozed off, I would, it would pass. But the clock seemed to move in slow motion. Sleep was nowhere near. I tried to lose myself in the Bible, but the words blurred, and I couldn't make sense of them. Then Bennett had an epiphany as he thought about Paul and Silas in the prison. They didn't despair, he wrote. They sang praises, and that became their weapon, one after another. Old songs came to me, and I sang them t 
to my empty room. It wasn't a great performance, but it may be the most powerful blessing I've received. The psalmist wrote, my mouth is filled with your praise all day long. You see, the disciples had accepted Jesus as the promised king, whom God had been working with great power, as evidenced by his miracles. In him was peace and glory, the evidence of authority from heaven. The leadership, on the other hand, sees the claim as exaggerated, even as something Jesus himself should not accept. We as readers of Luke's gospel are asked to choose a side. Jesus says that we even nature knows his real claims. This passage makes us think. It begs us to decide for ourselves where we place Jesus. Is he the humble king of peace or not? Is he the humble king of peace in your life or not? The disciples believe him to the end, to be, and nature would back them up. But his empty praise that causes, that changes when things get tough. We know that is the case for Peter, who just in a few chapters, several days later, will promise to go to prison or even death with Jesus, but fails to the pressure of the culture, but falls to the pressure of the culture. Is our praise real or is it only untested? Is our praise real or is it only untested? Will we stand in the gap when things get tough and never give up? Or is our praise really empty? Do we get going when the going gets tough? Or do we turn and run? You see, a woman took her, doc- her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor said, your husband is suffering from a very serious infection. The husband, who was very hard of hearing, said... What did he say? His wife said, he says you're sick. The doctor went on, but there is hope. You need to reduce his stress. Each morning, give him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant, nice, be kind. For lunch and dinner, make his favorite meal. Don't discuss problems with him. It'll only make his stress worse. Don't yell, don't argue. And most importantly, just cater to your husband's every whim. If you can do this for your husband for the next six, to, six months to a year, I think your husband will have a complete recovery. The husband said, what did he say? His wife says, he says you're going to die. So I ask you, is your praise real or is your praise empty? We have a God who understands our pain firsthand. And John Stott wrote this. I could never believe in God if it were not for the cross. In a real world of pain, how could one worship God who was immune to it? John Stott has entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, John Stott had to turn away. And in imagination, he turns instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, 
limbs wretched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerable thirst, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me, he says. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of this. There is still a mark, question mark, against human suffering. But over it, we boldly stamp another mark. The cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. You see, as Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem, he wept. Jesus cried because he knew that they did not recognize that God came to visit. He knew that the city of Jerusalem would suffer because they had their eyes wide shut. And they were empty in their praise. The problem is that Jesus did not deliver a worldly takeover at the time that he came to visit the world. He suffered and died for our sins, but he did not deliver the Jews from the Roman government. And that is what they wanted. Perhaps the people of Jerusalem decided not to recognize the king because he did not give them what they wanted, but offered what they really needed. The importance of making the right decision about Jesus is a constant theme through the New Testament. Accepting him will lead to great blessings, but perhaps not in the manner our worldly and selfish desires would want. Rejection of him will most certainly lead to pain and suffering throughout eternity. God truly desires for us to recognize his son, Jesus, as Lord and master of our lives. Perhaps today you need to accept him as savior. Perhaps today you need to recognize the king. Do you hear the invitation of Jesus? Do you hear the invitation that God is sending to you this morning? When he says, you are cordially invited to come and enjoy the delicious banquet of my salvation. Serving will, be, will begin at my house and will continue for eternity. I'd love for you to come and get to know me personally and join my family. This feast is free to you because the cost has already been paid. My precious son, by my precious son, Jesus. You are receiving this invitation simply because I love you. Please join me and you may come just as you are. The question this morning becomes, will you accept his invitation? What will your response be? Or will you make an excuse? On your bulletins this morning, you have some blank spaces on that on that line. Much like, uh, you know, you get RSVPs in the mail for weddings and whatnot, or you get text messages, hey, are you coming, yes or no? I want you to write the words yes and, and the word no on the, on the top there.
The question is, is are you accepting his invitation? Are you accepting his invitation to come into your life? Are you accepting his invitation to stand strong, knowing that he's there for you? Is is your praise real or untested? Will you stand in the gap when things get tough and never give up? Or is that praise really empty? Do you get going when when the going gets tough or do you turn and run? You see, Jesus wants you to answer that question this morning, yes or no. Yes or no. If you answer yes, fantastic. We're here. We can talk about it. I'll be in the studio after service. If you answer no, I want you to take it a step further. I want you to write down what your excuse is. What excuse do you think God will accept? Will he accept any excuse? You know, I, I, I plead, I beg, I, I say this, is that I don't, I, I don't want you to say no. But if you do say no, that there's a conversation that we should have. There's a conversation of why you're answering no. Because I want you to accept the invitation to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I want you to accept the invitation that Jesus is going to stand there beside you when the tough is tough. When the storm's a-blowing. And when you think your world is shattering and crumbling. Because my goal is that we all get to heaven and we can sing. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now. Thanking you for this day. Thanking you for us being here. Thanking you for us having ears to hear your word. Lord, as as we begin to enter into our time of communion, as we begin to think about what's going to go on the rest of the day, I, I just pray that that is on our minds. The invitation that you have set out before us. The invitation that you want us to answer yes or no. The invitation that if we say no, that we begin to have some conversations with people who are strong, who are in the faith, who who can come along beside us and help us through whatever we're struggling with, Lord. Lord, I, I just pray for everyone here this morning, people that are tuning in through YouTube or Facebook, that we'll watch this later on, that we can answer this question, that we can stand strong together, that we can make a difference into this world, that we know that you're here, that we know that you're fighting our battles and you want us to succeed, that you want us to move forward, that you want us to do your will. Lord, I pray for the ones that are stressed, the ones that are depressed, the ones that are struggling. 
Lord, you know all of our situations. You know all the storms and all the battles. I pray that we can be encouraged not only through the sermon, but through your scripture and knowing that we need to be a lot like Paul and Silas when they were in prison and just singing your praises and filling our hearts and minds with with full praises and not empty ones. That we need to be going into every situation with our eyes wide open, not eyes wide shut. That when we see the fog, that we don't focus on the fog, but we know what our goal is. And our ultimate goal is to reach heaven one day so we can praise and worship and celebrate all the days. Lord, if anybody here this morning wants to talk after service, give them that nudge that they need. Lord, give us the words that we need to speak to others that are around us and help us just to be encouraged every single day. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's been quite a few years that uh, ago that I'd look back and remember sitting in the pew at First Christian Church and look around here and very few things have changed. Um, two things that haven't changed that come to mind is, uh, you know, we've, I remember sitting in dreary old dingy pews, and I'm talking in the days before this building was here. The wood was all dark. Uh, the church was down on 2nd Street. If you walked out the front doors, you went right into Lease Drug. The only problem was Lease Drug wasn't there yet. So I'm going to date myself here, but the one thing that I do remember is being a five-year-old kid was looking at this picture up behind us, the Good Shepherd. Uh, we always think back, uh, that picture is uh, referenced as being the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He lead me beside the still waters. And I think as a kid, I sat and looked at that picture, and I just couldn't wait to get home and go play in the water down in the backyard in the creek. But there's so many other things in that picture I don't know if you're familiar, but um, the lamb that Jesus is holding, uh, that, that's probably us. We, we know it is us. There's, there's uh, over 300 references to sheep and shepherds in the Bible. So it's a pretty good indication of what Jesus was trying to, or what they were trying to portray in the Bible, the, you know, how it, how it showed the, the shepherd leading the sheep. But... <laughs> We look at that lamb in the picture up here and think, oh, what a lucky little guy. But that lamb could be us, and it's not the lucky little guy. There's such a thing as a bummer lamb. You can look this up. It's called a bummer lamb. And what that is, it's a young lamb that the mother won't feed. Either she can't or she won't. The lamb goes astray. A lot of times the shepherds would let them go till they got hurt. And then they would bring him back, and they would carry him. And once that bummer lamb was shown some affection and some love, followed him forever. So that, I think, could be us. That's the bummer lamb. It's not, not the pretty little picture that we look at. But when we've gone astray, 
the Lord brings us back and uh, keeps track of us. The second thing that hasn't changed is when every Sunday we would meet for communion, every Sunday, and, and that's what we do now. We remember our Savior, the one that brought us back, the one that takes care of us. I say, once that, once that lamb was recovered, the, the shepherds, many times, the newborn, they had to, had to sleep and hold the lamb. They had to feed it by hand. They had to take care of it. And uh, that's, that's what our Lord and Savior has done for us. So I say the second, the second thing that has not changed, we've, we've changed music. We have sound. I don't know about you. I, I love this. All I can remember down at the old church is that old piano, boom, 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 boom. You know, same old, same old thing. But, uh, you know, there, there's so many things that we're, we should be so grateful for. Instead of arguing or discussing different ways, we should be grateful for everything we're given. And the greatest thing we've been given is the salvation, our Savior, and what he's done for us on the cross. So if you would join me in prayer before we commune together. Heavenly Father, we just want to take a moment to... Uh, to give thanks that you are our savior, our shepherd. Thank you for keeping us in the flock and uh, help us to bring others into that flock also. But thank you especially for going to that cross, for giving your life, for dying, for coming back to life and giving us the hope of eternal life with you. So as we commune today, we just wanna give you the praise and the glory that goes with all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So that I understand right, that Mando was in the original church when they brought it here. You imagine who had the guts to say, "Okay, I'll pull it out and move that." Yeah, that'd be. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I guess I didn't know it was in the original church. Yeah, that that'd have been scary to have that responsibility. If you want, we'll stand up and we'll, we'll praise God as we leave.
Praise you, God. We love you as we go from this place.
We know you're with us always. Help us to remember that and show you to everybody in our lives. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you all have a nice week. See you next week.